0: wonder how many of you, as you were at the age, 15, 16, when you got your license, if you had to share a car with someone else, or whether you were blessed to have your own car. When I turned 16, I had to share a car with my brother and my mother, and it was very, very tricky. And I remember that first summer, in fact, it was more than tricky. It was really frustrating. When you have a brother who's older than you and was already established as the first, second driver, if that makes any sense, you know, you kind of get the short shrift. So I was like the third driver of the car, and and it was very, very frustrating to try to get a car. My dad, you know, was kind of like rarely we would get his car. So I decided that next summer, when I turned 17, that I was going to get my own car. And the way it worked in my house is outside of getting a place to live and food, by the time you turn 16, you don't get anything else. You want something, you pay for it. And so if I wanted to get my own car, it was gas, oil change, Any repairs, insurance, and oh, by the way, I had to pay for my own college, so I had to save for that, too. So it was a little tricky. So I went out, and I bought a $300 Volkswagen Bug. The thing was a piece of junk. It ran. When I got it, it ran. It immediately needed a new fender, And one of the things that I found out in the process of buying this car is that you could get a new Fender with just primer on it for $19. So I got the new Fender, and I put the new Fender on it, and just got a can of spray paint that matched. You know, this was not a high-class car. You might have figured that out by now. And I took the motor out and you know motors in vw of this vintage like probably early 60s i don't even remember exactly what year i didn't pay attention to such things at that time uh i took the whole thing out and cleaned it all up and got new spark plugs and a new uh distribution uh cap and uh, and and so i put the whole thing back together and it didn't work and so uh, I got a buddy to help me, and we, and we pushed it, and we caught it in gear. Remember those stick shifts you could catch in gear? How many remember that? Remember that? It was great. I mean, it actually ran. And I had my own car. And so I did a few, like, body repairs. My, my uncle, by the way, my dad took his cars to my uncle, who was a master mechanic for Oldsmobile. So I learned a few tips from him, which is why I was able to do some of the stuff that I was able to do. And I became, right around that time, a master in my own right with putty. So I could do body work really well. And I could make it look decent. You know, put a little snow white on there and a little primer and paint and it looked decent, you know. So I had my own car that summer. But it ran kind of rough. And it didn't look too good. And as the summer progressed, it really got... Rougher and rougher. So I took it to my uncle and I said, you know, I think you need to look at this car. Without going into detail, he said, this thing is a disaster. He said, you need to get rid of this now. And again, without going into detail, he did, he did a couple of repairs on it. And I sold the thing for $300, what I paid for it. So my brother and I agreed that in the coming year, we needed to buy a car, just the two of us together, particularly since he was going to commute to college that year. And that he would have the car during the day, during the week, and I would get it. We would share it evenings and weekends. So we went out together, and we bought a 69 Camaro for $1,000. No air conditioning, of course. You know, that was not a concern. We didn't know air conditioning anyway in cars. And... Uh, in one year, it had 67,000 miles on it. I remember this very vividly. We put 30,000 miles. Went through two sets of tires. It was, it was probably me, though I didn't admit to it. And we sold the car a year later with a little bit of putty and an Earl Scheib paint job for $1,100. We made $100. It's true. We made a $100. So I had simple tastes in those days. A car was a mode of transportation. And I wouldn't get my own car myself until my senior year in college when my brother went off to graduate school. But I want to go back to the VW bug because that first bug that I had for $300 was not my my only experience with a bug. Because when I was 20 years old, I met Meredith. And guess what she drove? A VW bug. (laughs) And I'll never forget, early in our dating relationship, she came to pick me up at work. I worked at this restaurant called Scro's Restaurant, a very high-end restaurant, one of the best restaurants in Pittsburgh. And at the time, I was a waiter at Scro's Restaurant. And for those of you that know this person, Jim Lanera, who works, uh, one of the owners at uh, Giuseppe Shelter Cove. You know Giuseppe Shelter Cove, most of you? Jim is one of the owners and always works up front. Jimmy, as I call him, Jimmy and I used to work together at Scrows. We were both waiters. Yeah, I know. Isn't that amazing? So Meredith shows up with her VW bug. We go out to the, the bug. She tries to start the car. It won't start. I said, I got this. We can catch it in gear. I've done this before. We try to catch it in gear. It won't start. So I go into the restaurant, get a couple of my waiter friends, say, you need to help me push this car. It's not catching in gear. And so Jim was probably one of the guys who came out to help me. And so we tried to start this car. I'm kidding you. Not Probably half an hour to an hour, we couldn't get it started. One of my friends had the wise insight of saying, does this car have gas in it? And what was the answer, Meredith? (laughs) It was empty. (laughs) True story. So we learned something else. If you're going to catch a car in gear, it needs to have gas in it. One One other story about our VW bug. Meredith and I eventually were married, in spite of that story, and, um, and we lived in a one-bedroom apartment on the edge of Mount Lebanon, which was a very nice area in Pittsburgh, and our rent was $188 a month, if you could believe it. And we had a one-car garage, and we decided together we would get rid of my Malibu Classic, and we would ha- keep her Volkswagen Bug and keep it in this one-car garage. And one winter evening, we were going out, and her car wouldn't start. So what did we do? We caught it in gear, and we actually did. She got in the car, and I pushed the car, and we're flying down this street, and it's slushy everywhere. It's a winter evening. And so I'm pushing the car, and she starts, and she takes off, and I slip, and I go right down. I was okay, but my wedding ring bent. And to this day, it is still bent. It's a good memory. Yes, it is. <laughs> Actually, I didn't want to pay to get it straightened. <laughs> Between the two of us, we were making 20000 a year. And it was just an unneeded expense. And we were content as anything during those days. You know, in fact, I look back during all that time, you know, during high school and college. And I'm sure that I had my ups and downs during that time. But by and large, I was content. And it's interesting because I was reflecting on this. Meredith and I were actually talking about it because Nathan preached a sermon last week. And he said, most people during this time of year, when we're thinking about, christmas and jesus coming you know most people when they hear the sermons that they hear are thinking of one of two things they're thinking about that they really are experiencing the peace and the joy or they're wrestling with the sin that jesus came to deal with and it's not don't misunderstand it's not that all of us aren't dealing with sin in our lives because we all are because we're all imperfect And we live in a fallen world. That's not the point. But some people, they're really wrestling with some sin and some struggle. And Meredith and I were talking about, we're back at that place, you know, like the early days of our life and marriage, where we really are experiencing that peace and that joy and that contentment in our lives. Maybe it's because the kids are gone. I don't know. but we're at a good place. And if you really think about the Christmas story and what Jesus, when we hear the promise of the angels in His coming, peace on earth, goodwill towards people. But that's the promise. And if you really look at And see what's going on in the world and possibly even in your own life. And especially around the holidays. People are running around. And they're trying to find the right gift. And they're trying to find that peace and contentment. And looking good. And making all the parties. And having everything. And making sure everybody in their family is okay and feeling good. And everything's good. Or they look around at the world and they see the terrorism and the struggles and they're worried about the economy, as always. And they just don't feel peace and contentment or even joy. Because in effect, there's always something to be concerned about. There's always something to worry about. There's always imperfection and discontentment. And where's the peace and where's the joy? I mean, because that's the promise. Yes, it's, it's the freedom from the brokenness and the sin and the fallenness in our world. But we still live in a fallen world. But even amidst that fallenness and even amidst the sin in our own lives, we can know contentment. And we can know the peace that passes understanding. And we can know joy if we're allowed to let the Lord break into our world. And that's really what the stories that we read about today are about. Both the Hebrews story, what we read in Hebrews, and what we read in the Gospel. Let's go to the Hebrews reading first. Because what we see in the Hebrews reading is referring back to the days of, there's references actually to the Psalms, to Isaiah, to the prophets about, people are doing their sacrifices and their religion and their religiosity thing. And what I mean by that is people are always trying to be religious. They're doing their sacrifices. They're being good people. They're following the law as if that's going to earn their way to be good, good enough, good in their own eyes, good in God's eyes, whatever it is. Just do a, enough religion to appease their consciences. That's not faith. Faith. That's not faith. Do you really think that's why Jesus came? And that's what the psalmists were saying about the sacrifices. Do you think this is about going and killing an animal on the altar? you really think that's what this is about? Your lives are broken if you really understand. This world is broken if you really understand. My VW, my 300 VW Bug, it was broken. I didn't understand it at first. I thought it was a good car. I should have known better. A $300 VW Bug? I probably wasn't too smart about cars at that point. And when I took it to my uncle... I learned because he knew. He was a master mechanic. See, when we try to play with things our own way, in our own eyes, we can convince ourselves you know what? We're okay. We're good. We just play a a little religion. You know, kind of follow the commandments, make it up as we go, be a good person. Do it the world's way. I mean, geez, that's easy, isn't it? Little sacrifice, pay God off just a little bit, maybe tip Him. That's not faith. That's not trust in the Lord. Because the world is broken, and our lives are broken, and it's called sin. That's why Jesus had to come. He didn't come for sentimental reasons. He didn't come just to be a model, a symbol. You misunderstand why Jesus came if that's what you think. Jesus came to change your heart. And you know When you really understand, when you really understand that Jesus came to change your life and change your heart and you've received him by faith, you have a hunger for worship. You want to know what his word says so you're willing to conform your life. You seek him in prayer. You want to seek his face and his presence. You know. And it's every day. That's what we're talking about. That's what Mary and Elizabeth understood. That they were empty. That they were helpless. They were broken. Secondly, you know, when we tried to jumpstart Meredith's car and there was no fuel in it, it wasn't going to work. We need the right kind of fuel, and it's not just, you know, whatever kind of fuel. And the kind of fuel that the world offers you isn't going to cause your life to run the way you need it to run. Because there's all kinds of offers out there to fill you up. Do you recognize that? Just, I challenge you, over the holidays, if you have a little extra time and you're going to watch some kind of television special, whether it be sports or some kind of holiday special, you know, like movie or something, just pay attention to the advertisements and what is being sold as to what is going to help you or fix you or fill you up. I challenge you to do that. Just take notes on it. It's going to be something material, it's going to be some kind of pleasure, it's going to be some kind of product or thing, it's going to be educational, it's going to be success, it's going to be retirement, it's going to be your portfolio, it's going to be your home, it's going to be your car, but it's not going to be Jesus Christ or have an eternal picture to it, I guarantee you. Because that is the fuel of this world. You know one of the movies that you will see sometime during the holiday? Because kind of right at the end you kind of get the idea that this takes place around Christmas. Is Die Hard. Right? Remember Die Hard? Right at the very end, what song do you hear? Do you remember? Oh, the weather outside is... Right? You remember that? And do you remember when Bruce Willis, for those of you that know Die Hard, Bruce Willis is up there dealing with the terrorists, actually, they're thieves, taking over the tower. And he finds some food. He's starving. He finds some food. What food does he find? No, not candy bar. Twinkies. Right? He finds Twinkies. Let me ask you a question. If you had a steady, steady diet of Twinkies. Exactly. I remember once I took a bite of a Twinkie and I knew at that time I would never eat another Twinkie. <laughs> and I like Sweet things. Okay? It's not that I don't like sweet things. And, you know, this is the good stuff in Twinkies, by the way. Wheat flour, sugar, corn syrup, not, niacin, high fructose corn syrup, eggs, shortening. And then the rest of it, if you go to Wikipedia, says, and others. <laughs> and the guy in the movie actually reads the others. And it sounds horrible. Okay? Now, if you had a steady diet of Twinkies, you know that that's not the fuel that you want to be a healthy person, right? That's what the world offers you for your soul in order to feel good about yourself, in order to be successful in the world. But I guarantee you, it's not going to be the kind of peace That God offers. I guarantee you, it's not the kind of joy and contentment that you're looking for ultimately because it's all fleeting. It will all ultimately leave you empty. It's why there is so much brokenness and broken relationships and problems and struggles. That's why there is so much dishonesty and dysfunction in the economy. In politics, because it's the wrong fuel. You know, it's really fascinating. We hear so much about education and success being the answer, right? You know, the San Bernardino couple that did the massacre—they were well-educated, affluent, and unknown to the police. In fact, he worked for the government. Did you know that? Kept an arsenal of guns at home and practiced at gun ranges. He was the jihadist next door. Make you feel safer, more secure. See, if you're looking for security and peace in this world doesn't exist. The only peace and security and contentment and true joy is with the Lord and it's the only one that lasts forever. And He's the only one that has the power to bring it to your heart and change you. Your strength will run out. Your love will run out. Your willpower will run out. You know what's fascinating? The stories that we have in the gospel about Elizabeth and Mary, we only have a partial story about Elizabeth. You really need to read earlier in Luke chapter 1 to really catch the full impact of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was beyond childbearing age. And she had a child. You know, some of you know this. I just earlier in, uh, uh, about a month ago, a few weeks ago, I went to my 40th high school reunion. And I reconnected with a friend, saw her there, hadn't seen her in years and years and years. And everybody there was 57, 58 years old, right? She had a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old. She had trouble having children for years and years and years and kept trying So she had her children in her mid-40s. I'm not sure I could do that. She had her children in her mid-40s. Elizabeth was beyond that. And in her day and age, mid-teens to late-teens was kind of when you began your childbearing years. But because of God's power and intervention, she knew. See, she had shame. God took away her reproach, as the Scripture says. And because of God's power coming upon her, she bore John the Baptist. What happened to Mary was impossible apart from the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon her. Now, what's fascinating about these two women, if you really juxtapose them next to each other, is you've got Elizabeth, whose shame was taken away, and then you've got Mary being pregnant, who was a virgin, and she was shamed because she was a virgin getting pregnant. The Holy Spirit really has a funny sense of humor, don't you think? See, we always want the Holy Spirit to be predictable. We always want it to be the way we want it. We always want it to be comfortable and easy. We always want it to work out the same way for us. And it doesn't because the Holy Spirit is not predictable. He does what He wants. It's always good. He always works it out for our good and for the good of those around us. He does what he wants. Elizabeth could not have made that happen. Mary could not have made that happen. The Holy Spirit moved over creation, and creation is incredible. And the Holy Spirit moved over Elizabeth and we were given John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit intervened with Mary and we were given Jesus. And the Holy Spirit moved in Peter's life and he declared that Jesus was the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit moved in the apostles and they went out and declared the gospel and the world began to change. And the Holy Spirit can move in your heart. And change your life and change your eternity if you allow Him to. If you allow Him to. See, because we live in a broken world. And our lives are broken from sin. And we constantly are fed from our culture the wrong stuff. And we run out of willpower and the ability to love with God's love. Jesus came as a helpless child. Just like Elizabeth was helpless. Just like Mary was helpless. Jesus came as a helpless, humble, poor child. Not educated in the finest schools. Not well healed. Not wealthy. Not in a position of power. He came as a humble, poor child. A carpenter's son. And by the way, he didn't come to be a victim a victim is a different kind a different way of exercising power I might add he came as a servant to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves to die in our place for our sin so that we might have what we need we might have the power to be transformed and be filled with His Spirit. He was born in a manger. He was born for a cross. He's the master carpenter. The master mechanic, if you will, to fix our brokenness. He's your gift for Christmas, and it's your choice. Let's pray. Lord, we have so many offers and opportunities presented to us during this season. So many promises to be fulfilled, to be happy. And Lord, you sent your Son to be the gift that changes us That brings us true peace. Incredible joy. And for all eternity. Lord, we're broken. And our world is broken. And you came to change us. Lord, I pray this Christmas... That we would truly understand the gift that we've been offered. And that this Christmas would be one that would last forever because we received the true gift. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Your gift for us. Born in a manger. Born for a cross. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.